One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Miguel Delaney of The Independent, and Dominic Fifield of The Athletic. Liverpool have already won one trophy, the League Cup. They play Nottingham Forest for a place in the FA Cup semi-finals on Sunday. They've won nine Premier League matches on the bounce. Now, in a kind quarter-final draw for the Champions League, they face outsiders Benfica. If they reach the semi-final, they'll play the winners of the tie between Villarreal and Bayern Munich. Chelsea meet Real Madrid and former manager Carlo Ancelotti, while Atletico Madrid are drawn against Manchester City. All things told, Dom, that's a great draw for Liverpool, isn't it? Yeah, it is. To play the, the third-ranked team in Portugal at the moment is, I mean, that's it, it, they will pose a problem or two, obviously, given that they've reached this stage of the Champions League. But, but compared to what it might have been, that's quite something. When, when we were talking a, a few weeks back, um, ahead of the ahead of the last sixteen ties, actually, we we we, we spoke about the, the the top four teams in in Europe, and they sort of the general consensus was the three from the Premier League: Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea. And then Bayern Munich in fourth and PSG probably in fifth were, were they were the, the strongest teams out there for Liverpool to avoid, you know, until they get to the semi-finals, all of those and, and, and Bayern Munich to come potentially in the semi-final is 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 quite something. It also puts the the, the tasks maybe of the other two English clubs in some perspective as well because the fact that they haven't they've all avoided each other for the for the quarterfinals is quite significant, I think. Yeah, just just while a little bit on Benfica, if you could please, Migs. It's their first time in the quarterfinal since 2012. Uh, they were beaten by Bayern in the group stages. What so- sort of side are they? And you know, the the last round I highlighted Darwin Nunes, who's already been spoken of as uh, a bit of an heir to to Cavani. What threat will they pose? Yeah, half of Europe seems to want Nunes, and this could very much uh, a Champions League quarterfinal. Is a sort of occasion then, if he is to go on and become a Cavani sort of player, sort of occasion where you possibly look back on this was the season he made himself. I mean, I know West Ham have been interested, but I think by the summer we're going to have far greater competition. Manchester United have had a look, I've been told. Arsenal have had a look. And with Benfica, I mean, first of all, I actually do think it's worth reflecting on because there's been like, there's been a bit of dismissal of Benfica, and understandably so, given they're I suppose they're from outside one of the big five leagues, and everyone wanted them in the draw, but. Isn't isn't it such? I don't. It, it, this is a theme we discussed actually on Monday, Mike. But it, isn't it mm. such a shame that a club like Benfica are seen like this? And 
it, it was one of the things that struck me when this draw was made as well. It, it, there's a relative sameness to it. And it's, it's, it's great when a club like Benfica, who have such an immense European history, get this far. And they should be more of a force in, in, in European football. And if this is a good side, you mentioned, I, they, they will pose Liverpool problems. But I suppose ultimately it's about tr- trying to withstand that force of Klopp's side which is very difficult for almost anyone to do. Yes, but when you think about Liverpool, you, you, you basically look at them as Europe's form team, don't you, Dom? You know, as I said in the intro, nine Premier League wins in a row. They're still on for that mythical quadruple. What about the, the squad depth? It might be tested a little bit with this morning's news that Trent Alexander-Arnold is going to be out for a few weeks with a hamstring problem. Yeah, and it's it's where the injuries happen, isn't it? I mean, that that's if, you, if you've got backup, I mean, if they lost one of their five first, you know, excellent forwards, I mean, I suppose they could still call on Minamino and, and Origi on top of that. But if they lost one of those five, you'd think they would have backup to to replace them. With Alexander Arnold, it's slightly different. If, I think if you if you trim those those fullbacks who are the, you know the marauding nature of everything they they do and and the the, the fact that they contributes so heavily at both ends of the pitch, then you are trimming Liverpool's threats somewhat. Albeit, we, we wait to see quite how serious this hamstring injury is. He's already withdrawn from the England squad, so there's a couple of weeks there for him to get a, a bit of a breather. And, and you know, Nottingham Forest, again, will be well up for this game this weekend, absolutely. But they are a team from the Championship. So, you know, you'd like to think, Liverpool would like to think they would have the strength and depth to, to cover that position for that fixture. So... Maybe in a month's time, when when these when these ties come around, Alexander Arnold will be back and refreshed and ready to go again. But they are a force of nature at the moment. They just they're just playing with such belief and conviction. That attacking threat sets them apart. When you contrast the weeks that they've had, the the, the top two in the Premier League, where Manchester City do everything but score at Sellers Park on Monday, do literally everything. I mean, they're missing from a, an inch out, and then Liverpool don't play. That convincingly at, at at Arsenal, but they've just got such firepower they can throw on. I mean, Yota scores with his last touch, and Firmino scores with his virtually his first. I mean, that to have that in the, in the bank and that 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 availability and that bite is well, it's it does set them apart, and it, it makes that Premier League title race intriguing, but also what they might achieve in Europe. Yeah, there is a sense of a season coming to the boil, isn't there, Mix? Yeah, totally. In fact, that game on Wednesday, I went to it. And it had the feel of the start of the run-in now, that business stage of the season. Even though, even though, as, as Dom mentions, the way Liverpool got the job done in, in the wake of, of City dropping points. And it, it does feel like it's... I mean, let's not, there's been a lot of focus lately on a, a so-called City collapse. <laughs> they still won 16 of the last 19 games in the league. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. Like in... in in, in previous, in say in the nineties or even going into the two thousands, a little spell like this would have just been seen as par for the course of the title race. Whereas now it does feel like we're already developing into a twenty eighteen nineteen situation where it will just be probably both these sides winning ninety percent of their games, and whatever the remaining percentage is is where the title is won or lost. Without overlooking, of course, that huge game now on that weekend, the 9th of April. Actually, the, the, the fixture should be confirmed at some point today once uh, we know what date the Champions League games are. And, of course, that, that 
that could be a very rare Premier League game, actually, where we will point to that as maybe directly deciding where the title goes. If there is one or two points in it and one of those sides wins the game and wins the title. But yeah, completely come to the world. And also like 2018-19 in that both obviously have designs in the Champions League. And that's one thing about that Champions League draw as well. With the way the semi-finals are now set up, we could well have, I suppose, what people would at least perceive as definitely the three best teams in Europe, maybe the best four. That's certainly Manchester City, Liverpool and Bayern Munich, maybe Chelsea. They are the champions of Europe. Of course, there's all sorts of uncertainty and ructions and potential disruption after what's happened with the ownership. But then, of course, that's another thing to touch on. Uh, yeah, so as you say, coming to the boil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well yeah, City will, will play Chelsea in the semi-finals if they both get through in, a, obviously, a repeat of last year's uh, final. Yeah, mentioning Chelsea, Dom, um, I know you're on owner watch at the moment. What's the mood around that club at the moment? Uh, well, I think you can probably separate the playing staff uh, under under Thomas Tuchel and and the administrative staff. The playing staff, I think, are quite united. I think they're they're doing well in terms of the the games that they're playing, and they're finding football a bit of an escapism, to be honest, from from all this uncertainty off the pitch. I think I think they they believe, and probably quite rightly that this situation will be resolved sooner rather than later and it will be resolved in a in a way that is relatively favourable for, for Chelsea Football Club. Uh, they will have new owners in place. I'd, I'd be amazed if they didn't have new owners in place in, in four to six weeks' time. But for the administrative staff and for people working behind the scenes and indeed the the hierarchy from what will soon be the former ownership, there is a lot of uncertainty. I mean, a lot of the, the people that are working at that club and they employ almost a thousand people, you know, they don't know what day to day is going to entail. They don't know how they're going to pay their mortgages necessarily. They don't know whether their, their salary is going to be forthcoming. That there is uncertainty on that in that regard. And uh, that will have an unnerving effect around the place. But it's funny, and it's a bit like a club that's being run in administration effectively. That's 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 what it feels like administratively any, anyway. That can have a uniting effect, weirdly. If you retain your job and you just want to get through it, and this is a unique situation where we'll know on Friday night how many consortia have bid, how realistic some of those bids are, and then I suspect that at some point next week that will be whittled down to something approaching a preferred bid from from Rain Group, and then they will apply to the government for the special licence to actually sell the club, and then we can finally start planning for for what happens next at Chelsea. Mm, well, obviously you've got uh, Real Madrid on the horizon. They're going to play the first leg away from Stamford Bridge due to you know the two Madrid clubs being scheduled to play at the same time at home. You're in Madrid, Migs. What's been the reaction to those two sort of Premier League La Liga draws, if you like? Well, I mean, Chelsea knocked out Madrid last season, so there is a little bit of trepidation there. And Atletico. Uh, Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. But I suppose Madrid, suddenly their whole season's been transformed by defeating Paris Saint-Germain, just the whole momentum behind it. And of course, as Dom, as Dom has mentioned, um, there is the, the potential uniting effect of, of Chelsea's situation. But equally here, I think they are seen as maybe vulnerable. With Atletico against Manchester City, it is all about Simeone against Guardiola. And there's an interesting one in this, probably... I mean, because Simeone is probably increasingly distinctive at top-level football in the, in the way he plays the game. And, He's almost the last, the last coach left who plays anything close to Mourinho. And even 
that has started to evolve a little bit. But it does set this up as the the tie among the four that is the greatest clash of styles. And I mean, I can't given given Guardiola's capacity for something unexpected, shall we say, in the Champions League. It, it does feel like Simeone is precisely the manager who's best set up to basically uh, for some sort of uh, tactical episode. That's a brilliant expression, a tactical uh, episode. Uh, it? uh, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but uh, and I, I think that's actually the most engaging. Because, I, I mean, Manchester City, even actually from the evidence of watching them against Manchester United in midweek, City are a much better side than Atletico Madrid. But just the context of the Champions League and all this swirling around it does make me feel Atletico are actually the most dangerous team that City could have faced. Yeah, well, they certainly did a number on United, didn't they? I thought the the most pertinent statistic from that was that the ball was only in play for 11 minutes, 19 seconds in the last half an hour which tells you everything about the challenge that Manchester City are going to be confronted by. When Imagine you... Guardiola made such a such a thing about Vicente Greiter's time-wasting at Sellers Park on Monday. What's he going to be like post-match against Atletico? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, my dear. He's going to be <laughs> off the scale to the point of paranoia, I suspect, but there we are. Yeah, with, with City, we've, we've already this week had another example of their their vaulting ambition and the the vaults from which the money will come from Erling Haaland it looks like is he going to be a guarantee of of sustained success beyond this season a bargain at 63 million but what about the impact on Premier League wage scales of this reported 500,000 pounds a week Don? I mean that's it's 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 almost got to the stage now where that isn't it doesn't feel that remarkable, actually. Half a million a week. I mean, it's Ronaldo money, isn't it? That's and and you know, you look at Haaland and the the longevity and potential there of that of that player, and and there's a lot more logic in pouring that much, if there's any logic at all in, in these these mind-boggling figures. There's a lot more logic in pouring that money at him than there is maybe in going back to to a great who's in in the twilight of his career. I'm I'm intrigued to see how Haaland does in in the Premier League. I think um, it is it is time probably for him to to test himself somewhere else. I mean, Borussia Dortmund fans would 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 hate hate that idea, but he will be have the ambition to develop his game further and 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 to and to show that he can do it, prove it, he can do it at the at the highest level. And with with City, you are guaranteed Champions League football. You're guaranteed a, a Premier League challenge under Guardiola. It will open his eyes to a completely new tactical approach. I imagine working with Guardiola for a, for a period, and you only have to listen to to Guardiola. I mean, he he's he looks like a man who's getting sick and tired of being asked questions about the lack of a number nine in in City's ranks. Well, that th- they would be signing the you know one of the stellar talents if you put him up with with Kylian Mbappe there. In that in that role, and and you'd imagine he would, yeah, he would have a, a, an effect. He would be instinctively maybe a, a player that that would convert chances that are created like those that were were created at Sellers Park on Monday. You, you, at the moment, they're asking attacking midfielders to be finishers, and, and okay, they're very good finishers at time, but they're also profligate at times as well. And and if if your instincts are all towards those those runs, those those finishes, those attempts. Then, as a forward, you must be licking your lips at the prospect of playing for that Manchester City team and the conveyor belt of chances that they they produce on a weekly basis. 
Mm. Yeah, it's it's inevitable. Well, you know, we're already playing the game, aren't we? Here that that there will be a lot of focus on the respective head coaches in this quarterfinal or these quarterfinals. What about the Ancelotti factor? He's very familiar with us here. I still find it quite extraordinary that um, you know, Everton didn't quite understand what they had there. What do you feel about him, Miggs? You know, if, if Real Madrid win the La Liga, he'll be the first manager to win all five major leagues. Yeah, which is remarkable, and especially given that, and, I mean, it's pretty much, uh, well, we'll find out on Sunday, given there is a potential for Barcelona resurgence on their own. But it's also quite odd, given that... Um, if you actually compare his league record given some of the clubs he's at, it's not actually stellar. In fact, you could almost argue it's underperformance. But he is, I don't want to say one of football survivors, he's more than that given he's won a record number of Champions Leagues. But he's always had quite an interesting career in that it has gone through spells of kind of some, what you would consider some qualified failures at the very least, and one of the biggest being the Champions League final in 2005, and obviously astounding successes that Champions League record, and potentially, as you say, this record would be the first manager to win it all in the five major countries. Now, that was something Jose Mourinho wanted to do, but Ancelotti's beat him to that, and they've they've had a little bit of tension before. Uh, But it comes at a curious point of Ancelotti's career, and maybe this is actually a reflection of where Spain is now, because I I, I would consider him fortunate to have got the Madrid job, I have to say, and I think it was a reflection of where they were as well. Even after the first leg against Paris Saint-Germain, Florentino, everyone knows Florentino was furious about it. He was considering a change. Well, he almost made a decision there and then to change at the end of the season. Would have taken Pochettino. But then, of course, everything was transformed by the last 16. And it does sum it up that for Perez and Madrid, Champions League progress is probably much more important to them than reclaiming the Spanish title. But certainly, I suppose it shows Ancelotti's capacity for pragmatism, for adaptation, and it's to his credit, but it's probably it's a manager who's at a very different point of his career than he was at Chelsea in 2010. Of course, Dom will know much more about what he was like then, having covered him directly. Yeah, what was your experience of him, Dom? Well, I mean, the first season in nine ten, he 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 was absolutely brilliant he was brilliant to deal with he was brilliant to deal with over the, over both seasons in, in in fairness but he he had a, a wonderful effect on 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 that team he always felt and he, this is this is a this is a well known analogy but he always feels like a finisher he's he's the he's the manager you hire when you have a, a stellar stellar side but maybe aren't gelling and he just he just coaxes that little bit extra out of all of them and makes them into a collective and they were irresistible from that first season i mean that was a year that they they regularly wallop teams for seven and eight towards the end of the end of the campaign, and it, it became a procession towards that that title. But even then, it, it wasn't a it, it wasn't a campaign that was that was completely flawless. There were there were failures in Europe, where I think the the hierarchy at the time, Abramovich, was was dissatisfied. And then the following year, after another brilliant brilliant start, when it all petered out, really from late November, December time in what infamously became known as the bad moment because he had to ask questions about the bad moment every week for about three months. He had no answers for that. He had no answers as to how to revive a team that were stellar names, but they were faltering. And I don't know, maybe, maybe there are parallels there with with Everton on a lower level from, from you know, why it didn't quite work out there. I mean, obviously Everton players were nowhere near the level of the, of the, the team that he had at Chelsea, but... 
but when things started to go wrong, they they really they really went wrong, and he didn't really show a, a, a means of arresting that decline and sorting out their issues. And maybe maybe that's just him. Maybe maybe again, it goes back to that sort of finisher thing. If you pick him at the right time and you bring him in, he will achieve what you want him to achieve. But but maybe long term these days, it's you know when you hit that blip, it's it's harder to to get him out of a rut. What have you made of Julian Nagelsmann, Migs? You know, Bayern got back to let's what we could call business as usual with that seven-one win over Red Bull Salzburg. You know, he's never he's never beaten Jurgen Klopp, which he might have to do or he will have to do if they both get into the semi-final. That system that he's got, that sort of three-four-two-one system, can you see that being potent all the way through to a to a final? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the, that Salzburg game felt the most Bayern Munich thing imaginable in the sense that it was just that sense, well, maybe Salzburg can do this. Bayern are wobbly. And just to the point when there's a bit of vulnerability, they don't just win. <laughs> <laughs> Crutch. You know, take, take it all out of the equation. <laughs> I mean, I, I, which again, I suppose, is... Uh, sign of it, the capacity for a Nagelsmann team to go to that sort of level. And it's why, I mean, they might not meet until the, um, in the final if they meet at all, but uh, it's why Nagelsmann against Guardiola were particularly interesting. We could be talking about, I mean, there was a lot of talk about this when it was Tuchel against Guardiola for the final in May, but if it was Nagelsmann against Guardiola, there'll be another level again where we're talking about not just 40 chess, but something even beyond that, where all sorts of little intricacies and because, I mean, that, that's one of the things that's really motored his Bayern team. I mean, I, I, I mean, maybe we shouldn't completely underestimate Villarreal in this regard. They knocked out Juventus. Juventus aren't what they were and are going through a rebuilding process. But um, to beat them 3-0 away from home. And uh, Emery, I mean, for all, he was lampooned in England. And I think that was partly because, I suppose it was just a language barrier as well. Uh, and maybe, and, and there's an, I think there's an interesting point to be made on them, the importance of that still for coaches. But we're seeing when he, when he gets to, to speak and operate in his own language, there's a really serious European manager there. And he will give Nagelsmann and Bayern a bit of difficulty. They, they should have too much, though. But then actually, the other side of this is, this could be a little bit of a, the last of a cycle for a Bayern team as well, given so many of their players are out of contract. Nagelsmann himself, if he does win the league there, or sorry, win the Champions League there, maybe he'd be looking on to kind of the next stage of his career as well. So there's there's a, there's a lot over that as well. Mm. With with Unai Emery, Dom, you know, he was treated really badly in England. Let's let's be honest here. Was he the right man at the wrong time at Arsenal? You know, he had that sort of post Wenger flux, didn't he? A, a pretty you know, um, sulphurous dressing room. He's showing what he's made of now, isn't he? Yeah. Look, I don't think anybody was going to succeed. Immediately after Arsene Wenger, it's the usual story. It's Sir Alex Ferguson and David Moyes all over again. So I don't think that should be counted against him. I, I just is he the right man? I don't know. He 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 seems to be he 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 overachieves in, to an incredible extent in his native Spain with the, with the teams that he's he's taken in charge. I mean, looking at this Villarreal team, it's it at first glance it's full of. Premier League rejects, or even players that have just left the Championship at, at Bournemouth with with Dan Juma. It's it's uh, for him to have have moulded them into the into this collective that can 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 produce results like a three 0 win in Turin. And I I saw Juve earlier this season. I was in Turin for the for the game against Chelsea when they beat them in the group stage. And 
yeah, okay, that they're definitely a team in transition, but they have some bloody good players to beat. I mean, I'd like to be in the transition that, uh, you know, if, if all transitions were like that, it wouldn't be too bad. But but to, to go and then wallop them 3-0 into your in, it's, that is quite something. That is a proper stand-up look at this result. And when you see people like Etienne Capoue completely revived, I mean, this is a player that was... You know, effectively, no one was weeping at Watford particularly when he left, and and he's now he's now in a Champions League quarter final, and he's I, I think it's a it's an astonishing achievement, and um, yeah, and I think there'll be a, there'll be a few. I mean, Serge Aurier, Lachelso, people like this will all look at this and think there's a well, there's a, there's a chance here to reimpose myself and show what I can do, and he seems to sort of I don't know galvanise this group of almost lost souls, and and they. That, that club, that club's always been like that, actually. I mean, a number of times we've gone over there to see the Yellow Submarines play in, in this strange little sleepy town and in, in just a few miles away from Valencia. And and, and they just kick above their, their status every year. It's astonishing, really. Actually, you know, we, we have concentrated on, on the last eight of the Champions League, but actually the last 16 on the events around that do seem to have taken on a huge significance when you think about it. Juventus, they were knocked out of the Champions League in the last four seasons by Ajax, Lyon, Porto and Villarreal, all clubs who weren't ever going to be allowed into the little private members club called the Super League that Agnelli wanted. It's also, it doesn't help Manchester United in their fallout, does it, Migs, that Ten Hag and Pochettino also failed to progress. Yeah, a Juve, I suppose, are undergoing an ongoing transformation of the club after what were pretty much a series of bad decisions for the last half decade. Some of them don't reflect all that well in Paratici at Spurs, with the biggest, I mean, being... I, I know people point to the fact that Ronaldo isn't there and they've gone again, but that was... I mean, it didn't make sense for the club, that decision. It made, OK, it made sense commercially. From a football perspective, it didn't make sense. And even, like, another strange thing that Juve have done, they basically, they were trying to go for this kind of more progressive style of football, you know, high-pressing, high all, the, all the modern trappings. And then signed Ronaldo, who was exactly the wrong player for that, especially with, with coaches like Sarri and then Pirlo. Then they got rid of Ronaldo, and they got the opposite way in terms of coach. Allegri, who's a pragmatist, a pure pragmatist. So it seems like they've been caught in a few stools and are in this ongoing transition, which is actually good for Italian football because it's created a little bit more uh, competitive variety. And it, it feels like Manchester United are almost Juventus issue exploded by 10 because of the sheer size of the club and the fact that they haven't even, they haven't even really started their transition yet, despite so many ructions this season. They don't really know who's going to be next manager. In terms of those last 16 results, yeah, they put such a spin on it that their two main targets went out at the same stage. From what I'm told, it doesn't affect too much, but still keeps Ten Hag a little bit more ahead of Pochettino, which to my mind, I have to say, I think I've said it on the, on the pod before, but I just it feels like because of the lack of football expertise at the club, they're potentially stumbling into another bad decision. I just I think Ten Hag, Ten Hag is the wrong figure, not because he's a, not a great coach, or he could he would be the wrong appointment in normal circumstances. But these are these aren't normal circumstances. From everything you hear with Ten Hag, he works really really well in a structured system, and that is the one thing Manchester United do not have. 
he'd be much better suited to go into Manchester City because he can just go there and coach. Like I remember hearing stories about how when when Spurs interviewed him in the summer, they they found him kind of surprisingly, our coach surprisingly lacking charisma, which is fine again if you're just going into coach the players. That sort of job that some of these modern clubs give, give these sort of men, like that Ajax have given him, that Manchester City have given him, but not but United basically need a player to kind of to almost transform the mentality at the club while they hopefully, from Manchester United's perspective, start the, sto- the sort of infrastructural changes that they need. But yeah, I mean, that do- it does, it, it's almost, it sums up the modern Manchester United that even the coaches they're going for, there's problems there and actually they had the same sort of failure as United this season. Mm. Well, it seems that United are going to have their noses pressed up against the window uh, for the rest of the season irrespective of their defeat by Liverpool, it looks like Arsenal have fourth place to lose. Uh, Dom, let's let's look forward, if we could, please, to, to the FA Cup quarterfinals this weekend. And we might as well start with Liverpool. There's a Hillsborough tribute planned for before their tie against Nottingham Forest. I'd like to concentrate, if I could, on, on the Forest manager, Steve Cooper. He established his, his coaching credentials at Liverpool and has made an exceptional impact there, hasn't he? He really has. I think they're the. If you took out the, the tail end of the Chris Hutton period in charge, and they had, shouldn't forget, they had an absolutely awful start to the new season. They're one point from seven matches, I think, at the start of the season. I mean, they're right up there. They're 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 right up there with with Fulham in terms of the form team in in the in that division. And it must be must be very frustrating for Nottingham Forest fans that they're they're in that position. That a lot of clubs find themselves in where they're forever just sort of grasping for the last playoff spot and never quite reaching it, um, despite an excellent run of form. I mean, maybe if that is maintained, they will scramble their way into contention there, and then they will be a real prospect for the for the playoffs and 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 beyond. They, they've got a really exciting brand of football. A lot of a lot of clubs looked at Steve Cooper in the summer when it was very clear that he was leaving Swansea. And indeed left. And I think he was courted in that little period before he took up the reins at, uh, at Nottingham Forest. And people always talk about the way he works with with youth, and that's that's steeped from his time at Liverpool, and then on the with the FA and the England setup. And yeah, he, he does that, and that's 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 a, that's a brilliant attribute to have when you're that level of club that needs to build around younger players and and, and progress that way. Which Forest have finally sort of decided that's what they want to do. But the style of play that his teams produce and the, the the fluid nature of their attacking play is is outstanding. It's absolutely outstanding. And for him to have moulded a team, almost going back to that Unai Emery um, analogy earlier, but the, for him to mould a team that is crammed full of lone players and and rejects and 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 youthful players who are making their their way in the game, senior game for the first time. It's a fantastic achievement to get them all playing in the way they are and the swashbuckling style they're playing. And seeing lads like Jed Spence, who, I mean, loaned out by Middlesbrough, what, what is going on there? I mean, it's just, it's bizarre. But they're, they're absolutely flourishing. And, and these players have been given a real platform on which to excel by Steve Cooper. And what, whatever happens to, to Forrest, they will be they will benefit in, in the future and they, they're all for, ready for really, really promising careers. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that Jed Spence wasn't particularly rated by Middlesbrough's previous manager, Neil Warnock. He's now interesting Bayern Munich. There's talk of a £20 million transfer. Borough 
meanwhile, Dom, have been transformed by Chris Wilder. They've already beaten Manchester United and Spurs. Are they capable of springing another shock against Chelsea? Well, yeah, they can. Undoubtedly, they can. And, and, and bearing in mind the shenanigans over the blooming statement released in midweek by Chelsea, you'd imagine that, that, that Thomas Tuchel's team and their 600 travelling supporters are in for a pr- pretty hostile atmosphere at the Riverside at the weekend. It's going to be fairly vociferous, the, the reception they're granted. But everything about Wilder, and we, I mean, he's, he's sort of, after that difficult year in the second season at Sheffield United in, in the Premier League, he took his time over where he was going to come back into football. And and it just, again, it just feels like a good fit. He's he's brought his coaching staff with him. He's got He's got a... A chairman that that, well, I'd, I'd like to say patient. There will be an impatience to get back into that Premier League, obviously for financial reasons. But, but he's been backed. He's he's again. He's imposed his style on 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 the team, and they're they're they'll be up in those in those playoff around those playoff positions again this season. They've had an excellent year, and the, what they've done in the FA Cup has really supplemented that. To win even on penalties at Old Trafford was a, a stunning a, a achievement, and they will pose a threat. Yeah, I mean. Chelsea, Chelsea were tested at Luton, another progressive team in the Championship. But I suspect that it will be it will be a different kind of test, but it'll it'll stretch them this weekend in the in the FA Cup. Yeah, Manchester City are at Southampton on Sunday. Migs Southampton they shared the points home and away with City uh, in the league. They've had three successive defeats, but is Hasenhutl? Again, the sort of manager who can get inside Guardiola's head. Yeah, completely. I mean, as we've seen this season. I also I, I wrote in a piece this week. Actually, sorry, I've written on my newsletter today. Um, that Get the plug in, mate. Get the plug in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it should be coming out now. I'll sign up on Twitter. Um, but I, I, I was told that United actually, if for whatever reason some of their top targets don't work out, Hasenhutl has been mentioned as someone who's who's a potential even if it was just be a year as they look at what next he's been so impressive for Southampton now the flip side of that is actually a few people say that he is one coach that hasn't been say as obsessive about getting to the absolute top as others that he stay he likes staying a little bit under the radar and Southampton are, are a club that suits him it's actually it's to Southampton's credit as well that they've uh, they've stayed with him through two difficult periods it's actually there's so some parallels with Mikel Arteta there actually, because I mean they could have easily sacked them after two separate nine nils, and I, I, some of that of course down to the situation the club was in, but yeah he's he's an adept Premier League coach who's given City real problems. Another thing about this game though is actually it feels like the the outcomes of any of either victory are so disparate. I mean let's be fair with the greatest will in the world. If City beats Southampton, it's a fairly predictable result. And also, it wouldn't mean that much for City to win the FA Cup. They they did it uh, three years ago as part of their quad, uh, part of their treble. I was going to say quadruple, but that that's when they uh, include the Community Shield, which I absolutely would not do. Shouldn't be included. <laughs> it's a treble. Um, <laughs> but but it wouldn't mean that much to them. Whereas for Southampton, obviously, if they if they got to win. Um, another FA Cup semi-final, they were knocked out by Leicester last season and had a chance of getting to the final again and potentially winning it. It's absolutely, it's a huge for the, moder- for the modern history of the club. Well, the last final was 2017 against Manchester United 
when they lost to uh, Josie Mourinho's side. Again, didn't really mean that much to Mourinho or United at the time. Although now, in hindsight, it's actually one of United's last few trophies after a barren run. Whereas it would have been used for Southampton. And it certainly feels like Hassan Hootel is a coach that's well aware of this. He's bought into the lore of the club a little bit. And uh, it should create a proper event around that game. Mm. Let's also look quite literally in your case, Don, closer to home. Palace against uh, Everton in the opening game of that triple header on Sunday for the FA Cup. It's quite interesting, isn't it, when you think about it. England call-ups on Thursday for, for Conor Gallagher, Mark Gooey, Michael Elise has been um, recruited for, for France's under-21s. We're seeing the benefits of Palace's investment in young talent, aren't we? Yeah, and I think you'll, I think you'll find that Tyrant Mitchell will end up being called up next week by England as well. There's a good chance of that uh, on, the, on the basis that England fullbacks are dropping like flies at the moment and he's a he's a player that Gareth Southgate really likes. It it goes back to last summer when the I mean I I I can't remember. I'm not gonna cast aspersions, but I suspect on this podcast, like on most podcasts, people were saying, This is crazy what Crystal Palace are doing. This is absolute insanity. They're letting the entire squad leave. An entire squad of thirty plus players, of whom, of all those guys that left at the end of last season, Andros Townsend and Wayne Hennessy are the only two that are still in the Premier League and neither of those are playing particularly at the moment. Andros gets the occasional minute now after a good start. Wayne Hennessy is a backup goalkeeper. And Palace went out and they, they took a risk. They gambled on youth. They spent, for them, what is a lot of money. They brought in people like Gohiu, who has been consistently outstanding all season. They've allowed people like Tyrant Mitchell and Michael Elise to flourish. And it's it's suddenly a really, really exciting time. And it's gone back to the, the time. It's almost gone back to my youth where I'm looking there thinking, oh, how do we keep hold of these people now? There wasn't for a whole period of this time in the Premier League. We haven't really had that. Maybe maybe a bit about Wilfred Zaha every year when you know he, he was agitating for a move. But generally speaking, we're going back to the 90s now, early 90s, where Palace's top talent when it was people like Ian Wright and Mark Bright, Andy Gray, Jeff Thomas, they just they got to a point where they needed to leave. Well, we're now back to that stage again now, but it's great to watch. I mean, it's definitely how a club like Crystal Palace should function to to, to nurture these young players and, and, and bring them through and offer them opportunities. And Minx was talking there about the excitement around Southampton and this FA Cup tie. Crystal Palace are absolutely dying for this game. They they are this is this is this is our season here to get through to Wembley again for a semi-final against what could potentially be one of the one of the other three, you know, the top three in the Premier League. And for, for Palace this means everything. This will be this is the excitement. This is the the thrill that the, the Vieira regime has has managed to instill so far. And it owes everything to Brilliant, brilliant recruitment last summer and the opportunities that Vieira has offered these young players throughout this season. There's a real feel-good factor about that club at the moment and it will, even on the back of what happened on Thursday night and Frank Lampard smashing his hand to pieces with late 99th minute winners, it will contrast markedly with the visitors at Sellers Park on Sunday lunchtime. Yeah, that Everton performance against Newcastle, Miggs, um, on, on Thursday night, they obviously needed it badly. Is it natural that, that Frank Lampard will prioritise safety in, in the Premier League 
or will he just say, well, okay, we've got a free a free hit at this one? Yeah, uh, usually in these sort of circumstances, it always feels such a shame when clubs don't push on for the cup, especially in Everton's circumstance where they haven't won a trophy since 1995 and the FA Cup has been so big in their history. But in the circumstances here, I think it's completely fair because we're not just talking about survival. We are talking about, I suppose, the maybe not quite to existential levels, well, well, there is a lot of financial pressure on, on everything in the circumstances. So going down could have far greater repercussions than for any other club. So, yeah, I, I think that's completely understandable. I have to say, actually, I was a little bit surprised that they pulled out of the bag on Thursday night to Lampard and the team's credit because it suddenly had the feel that this was on one of these kind of terminal negative spirals. I mean, the nature of some of the recent performances, particularly the defeat to Spurs, and, yeah, and, and of course, all the commotion around Wolves at the weekend. In fact, even I was just talking to someone who was at the game last night and they said that the minute the team sheet was read out, there was this air of almost disgruntlement around Goodison Park because that, that's, what, that's what's happening around the club right now. Obviously, that changed as the game went on, they got behind, and then they had that crescendo of finish that could well change the complexion of the end of this season. It could be what they need. You know, the highlight of Thursday night, you know, without question, was West Ham's win over Sevilla in the, the uh, Europa League. You know, that, it was the first time, certainly in my experience, that the, the, the Olympic Stadium or the London Stadium or whatever they want to call it today, felt like a football ground. It almost felt, as an occasion, it rivaled that farewell to Upton Park. It was exceptional, wasn't it? Yeah, amazing din. Yeah, fantastic. And what a performance. What a night for David Moyes to knock out such a team that has made their reputation on winning this this trophy so consistently uh, a, a side that is Real Madrid's nearest challengers i think in in La Liga at the moment uh, just a, a a result to to really pep belief and confidence at, at West Ham that this this trophy can be theirs uh, and and when you throw in the element of Yarmolenko scoring the second goal as well, and 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 the emotion that, that carries at the moment, given everything that's happening in Ukraine in his homeland, it's you know it's a, it's a fantastic feel good story and and a, a first European quarter final since what nineteen eighty one to come. It's magnificent and a huge testament to the progress that David Moyes has instilled at that club. What about Declan Rice, Miggs? You know he ran that game. I never see him have a bad game. He looks to me, and we're going into an international break, but he looks to me to be absolutely nailed on to be an England captain. Yeah, a player... I mean, you can see it so clearly that it's a player just going to the next level. Now, of course, that usually brings discussion about how he needs to go to the next level in terms of club. But as you say, more, much, more, much more relevant right now is really that he's someone that could potentially grow into England captain. Okay, not quite this year, in a World Cup year. But you can you can see the succession, and I think what's most impressive about Rice, there are obviously all the elements in how he's evolved his game. Like even if you if you talk to people at Chelsea, they would say that there were reservations about uh, the speed of his feet when he was young, but so much else around the way he plays has gone to another level that you, he's impossible not to consider. Of course, Chelsea's interest is now dependent on what happens there, but you know everyone else will be interested in him. And yeah, we're we're talking about, I suppose one of the, someone who's becoming one of the most domineering midfielders in Europe. 
Yeah, well, if we look at it, West Ham in, in that sort of form, with that sort of backing, could well do something really quite special in the Europa League. But I just want to bring it all together if I could, chaps. You know, we've spoken, we began by speaking about the Champions League. Pretty simple question to finish with, please. Who's your winner in the Champions League this season? Dom? I will go with, I think I've been saying City throughout. Uh, I will stick with them for consistency reasons, although I do have a slight feeling that Liverpool might now do, given the, the, the kind of nature of their, their quarterfinal draw. Migs? I'm tempted to say Chelsea, actually, just for the, exactly what Dom was saying earlier, that element of digging in on a crisis. And the, the Champions League is quite a strange competition, the way the kind of most of the stakes around and the atmosphere almost play into that. And we've seen plenty of examples of teams winning in adversity before, Chelsea being uh, being two of them, really, actually, as well as Liverpool in 05. Never quite adversity like this. But, yeah, I mean, the easy answer would be Liverpool, I think, who I would have gone for, but... I think maybe just the way circumstances play out, I might just go for Chelsea with with with, uh, with a license to change that in two weeks' time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love I love simple answers. Being a simple soul myself, Benfica, I've always thought. Saying, sorry, I'm. <laughs> you're saying Benfica? Uh, yeah, <laughs> perhaps not. Well, you know, I've always thought that that Jurgen Klopp had the the soul of a poet. Now here he is, as Liverpool season builds in intensity. He said, we have momentum, but momentum is the most fragile flower on the planet. Someone steps on it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And it's gone. Well, to continue the analogy, I can't see anyone trampling Liverpool underfoot. I chose them as my Champions League winners at the start of the season and see no reason to change now. What about you? Please let me know. In the meantime, thanks to Dom and Miguel for their insight and thank you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Podcast. 